you definitely have to have a short memory and just keep going. You know, that's the one thing I always tell myself, you know, no matter what happens in the game today, I'm going to just keep pitching, keep going, and keep, you know, trying to execute the game plan. Good morning and welcome to episode 273 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller, and it sounds like a new form of wildlife. I'm just going to be quiet for a second here. We'll both be quiet so that you can hear. Okay. Okay. It's nice, isn't it? It is nice. So when I heard that, I said crickets, and you said no, and you said we could talk about what it actually was. It's it's frogs. It's frogs. Really? That's what frogs sound like. <laughs> they sound like crickets. They sound a lot like crickets, but these are frogs. So where are you right now? In um, just a bit south of San Jose. Well, I mean, you're not in on there. A, on a front, I'm on a front porch. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. So, man, these Sunday night podcasts, I kind of wish we were like a Breaking Bad podcast instead of a baseball one so that we could talk about that, but we're not. Um, so what is your topic? The Mariners. Okay. And I wanted to talk about CC Sabathia a little bit. All right. Um, do you want me to start? Sure. Um, so I guess two Mariners personnel moves have kind of been publicized, I guess, in the last few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and arguably neither one is particularly new. Um, one is new to us. The other is not really new, but was made official. And those moves are um, the kind of... I, I. It's actually not even official, I guess. But basically, uh, Tony Blangino, who is one of... Who was basically the... Um, I don't know, the, the, the stat guy who joined mm-hmm. the Mariners at the same time as, as Jack Zarensic, um, he is basically going to be allowed to wander off. Uh, so his time with the club is, according to reports, essentially gone, uh, done. And meanwhile, uh, Jack Z is uh, signed to a contract extension that goes through 2014. This extension was actually signed uh, during the winter, before the season, uh, it is just now being made public, but we now know that um, Jack actually got some kind of, I don't know, arguably vote of confidence. Um, arguably, I, I think that's debatable. Um, and maybe now, according to Jeff Passan, uh, even a little bit more vote of confidence uh, by the Langino move. And so I just thought that now's a good kind of time to look back at the Mariners, um, who have had five years under this regime. This regime is essentially been gutted other than Jack Z. And, um, you know, the Mariners have not been successful during that time. They've ha- they've uh, gone up and then down in the eyes of uh, the, I guess, sabermetric community. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a, a, an offseason where they seem to be the brightest young front office in the game. Um, but they've not really won anything. They've not. Uh, improved or really even gotten worse. They are a 75-win team, basically, that looks like a 75-win team. And um, so I guess the simplest way to start is just to say, is is this a... Uh, was, was the Mariners... Um, you know, was this five-year plan a total flop? Or is this story, uh, you know, reasonably seen as ongoing? Uh, 
Well, I wrote a thing for Michael Clare's site earlier this year when he was doing his his charity blogathon thing um, about how I felt like we we either we 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 were either uh, too down on them and Jack Sorensic now, or we were too up on them several years ago. We we proclaimed them the new smart uh, front office who was doing everything right within the first year or so after he took over. And then in the last year or so, it's been everything wrong, and he's on the on the wobbly chair and uh, and doesn't have a long leash and all these things. And you know, it was a span of of like four years or so, and it it seems like we either overreacted to that initial success, or now we're overreacting to the struggles lately. And maybe you know, the whole time they were somewhere in the middle there all along. Um, okay, but let me interrupt though. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has been five years, and, yes. and I was I was thinking back to that conversation that we had about. I think it, the terms were we were being asked to pick which team was least likely to win a World Series in the next five years. Uh-huh. Uh, was that were those the terms? Uh, this was a while ago. This was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. probably six um, months ago or so. Yeah, right. And it it does seem like you you know we probably maybe should have mentioned the Mariners. The the Mariners. Two years ago, uh, to me, even though their farm system, at the time we had that conversation, was widely considered to be stacked, mm-hmm. but to me they felt further away from competitiveness than they had two years previously. To me it felt like, uh, you know, they had moved backward and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they basically turned um, Michael Pineda into nothing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not not necessarily by any fault of their own, not not even unnecessarily by any fault of their own, just by kind of the way things go. But that's that happened, and Dustin Ackley kind of happened. And, um, you know, it, it, it seems like five years, you know, it, I, I, I get what you're saying about not overreacting to the, to the uh, winds of the, of the moment, but uh, do you think that five years tells us enough about a GM? Does it tell us what we need to know? Uh, I don't know. I, I think... That's certainly the point at which you you understand if ownership makes a move. Um, but I think it's it's possible for a GM to just have some things go against him and the the winning team not not come together in five years, uh, even though the plan was pretty good. I don't know whether that's the case here. I mean, I think I think I'm probably more optimistic about the Mariners than I was maybe a few months ago. Um, having seen Nick Franklin and, you know, Kyle Seeger having a good year and Brad, yeah, Brad Miller, yeah, Brad Miller, uh, and just, some Justin, Justin Smoke. Smoke I mean, yeah. Um, kind of like the, the thing is that the, the resurgence of Justin Smoke and uh, I guess the five years of being awful of Justin Smoke and then this resurgence mm-hmm. to some degree that just basically tells you all you need to know that like this stuff is at a certain point and to a large degree completely out of the gm's hands mm-hmm. it's like completely unpredictable and you just have to like kind of pray that not all your guys suck at the same time mm-hmm. and that kind of happened to them all their guys who you know it's not like it's i, I guess to, to some degree like smoke was there were there were probably a greater than usual number of prospect writers who were down on smoke when he was a uh, an elite prospect mm-hmm. and maybe the, maybe the same about Atley. Um, but it's not like people were saying, you know, these guys were going to be 
terrible. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, they no, put together no, a, definitely not. No, they, they put together a team that you know of players who should have done well, and then mm-hmm. they didn't do well. It's hard to know how to. It's hard to know how to assign blame on that. Dustin Eckley is hitting three fifty three in August. Um, so yeah, and, and that was supposed to be Jack Sorensic's strength. Scouting hitters was that was supposed to be like his his trump card or his calling card as a GM. And yeah, I think we've talked about before how those moves were all defensible at the time. Those were all, you know, Montero, Ackley, Smoke, all all highly regarded prospects and players who just last time we talked about it, at least just hadn't panned out. And no one said those were bad moves at the time they were made. And probably most other teams would have been thrilled to have those players at the time that those moves were made. So Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And I think we concluded that, you know, if you're the team that does acquire them, then you you kind of have to know more about them than than every other team. I mean, you like you have to be right. It's not I don't know. Is it is it a defense that that every other team would have made the same mistake or I don't know. You're the team that made the move and you maybe had the most confidence that those players would work out. So if you're going to make the move and give up players to get those players, then you would want to be more right about them than than everyone else. Um, but there is kind of a, a young core. I mean, Zanino has not been great, um, but but between Seeger and Franklin and Miller and Smoke kind of hitting and uh, Taiwan Walker and there's still there's still some pitching. So there's. There's some stuff there that you look at and you kind of can can see it. I mean, clearly it's not this year, and so it would have been nice maybe if they had traded some people, as I think we've discussed, maybe, uh, you know, Kendris Morales or Raul Banez or, or whoever at the deadline when maybe they could have kind of supplemented the new core with some people who are expiring assets and weren't going to help in the short term. But there's there's some talent there because like the really depressing thing was it looked like the the core was just a complete flop and they were going to have to totally rebuild again a few years after rebuilding for the first time and then now there's there's enough there that you can kind of look at it and say well maybe one more year and maybe it comes together and maybe he looks pretty good at this this time in 2014 it's it's not a hopeless case. I don't know that I would I don't know that I would put them at the top of that that five year World Series probability thing or at the bottom of it. I I feel like there's there's enough young talent there that I can still kind of see it. So um, it seems that it seems like a pretty rare event that a team de stat heads itself. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. I mean the the you know, the, and I, I don't want to oversell what the Mariners are doing because uh, we don't, you know, they have a lot of guys who probably qualify. I mean, they probably have a ton of guys who qualify mm-hmm. in that front office, but they basically have, you know, removed the uh, stat component of the Jack Z regime for the most part. And, and a really, hear, a really visible part of it, too. Like most team stats guys, you may not have even heard of them or you'll you're, yeah. you'll almost never yeah. see them interviewed. But yeah, Blangino was like front and center when when that new regime yeah. came in. I mean, he was giving interviews left and right. I think he had a I think he had a regular radio segment where he would like explain how war works and just pick a stat every week and talk about it. And it was like really 
just a lot more visibility than you typically see. Um, I mean, most guys get rid of their their Blangino equivalent. You probably wouldn't even know about it. Yeah. So, um, th- like, you know, like it, it, the 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 norm is that you hear kind of you know more and more about guys being hired or about teams kind of going in this direction. And I'm I'm thinking of precedents for the equivalent and I mean like the Dodgers obviously with De Podesta but that was kind of I mean they had an insane owner and he got kind of run out of town uh, by a fairly coordinated campaign uh, by the local media and um, you know maybe the Diamondbacks but you know Kevin Towers is you know sort of a giant in the game and there's nothing particularly unusual about wanting to have Kevin Towers Um, so do you think there's anything significant about the Mariners doing this i mean is it as do you do you feel like this is a a strange direction to go or should we just really not be thinking about um front office personnel in those categories at all yeah i i don't know it's hard for me to say without knowing who's left or who's filling that role i i mean i like it i don't know that we can take it as an indication that they're forsaking the the sabermetric approach or or even giving more precedence to the scouting side or something. I mean, maybe that's the case, or maybe uh, maybe they just wanted someone else to take over that role, or they're going to hire someone else, or hard to say. I, I don't think it's, uh, I don't know that they're like flying in the face of history or anything and just, and, you know, rolling back the clock or anything like that. It That would be, I mean, it's possible, but I don't know enough to say. And last question, do you have any beef with Jack Z getting the extra year extension? Uh, well, if it was done before this year, I, I mean, he's been, he's been, I guess, for most of the year at the top of the, or near the top of the list of, of GMs who could possibly lose their job. And I guess if it was done before this year, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I certainly would have. I wouldn't have protested if if he had been let go. Uh, I wouldn't really have called for him to be fired because I don't really like to do that because I just don't feel like I know enough about what people are doing behind the scenes. But uh, I guess guess it's sort of surprising to me uh, since this was kind of seen as a sort of a make-or-break year for him and and for the Mariners, and, and they changed course in the offseason and we talked about how they kind of went away from the the defense first and they signed power guys because they thought they needed a bat um and so i'm i'm sort of surprised that they would have committed to him without waiting to see how that worked out yeah i kind of feel like a one-year contract extension isn't really much of a commitment it he doesn't really get paid much Mm -hmm. relatively speaking so it's like the sort of thing that like executives everywhere have. I mean, when I was covering schools, all the superintendents had basically contracts that were like rolling three-year contracts. Mm-hmm. So every year, like the you know the next two years would turn into a three-year deal, and so it was always this poison pill. So you know you could fire them and they would get their money right. And so I don't know. I kind of just feel like a one-year extension gives him a little bit of freedom to not act irrationally in the offseason, maybe to try to you know save his job or anything like that but basically it's like you know you're just basically putting his buyout into the contract or his severance into the contract it doesn't feel like this is not mike Sosha's 10-year 50 million dollar <laughs> extension by any means mm-hmm. i guess yeah 
Um, yeah. Okay. Is that that? I did have a problem with the superintendents having the three year. That felt shady. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. that always felt like too much. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say, I'm okay with Jack Z's deal. I'm not okay with. I'm not going to name names here, but. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we should do a full podcast on your your days covering education someday. So let's talk about Sabathia. Okay, so we haven't really talked about him much this year, and uh, he's he's sort of having a, a notable season. Um, he pitched pretty well uh, over the weekend. He lost to the Rays, but but pitched decently. Went six and a third, struck out seven, gave up a few runs, but. His ERA since the the All Star break is is uh, over seven, and the peripherals aren't aren't the greatest either. Um, he's he's walked twenty three guys in forty four and two thirds innings. So uh, his you know his his stats for the the full season are very not Sabathia like at all. His ERA is almost five. His uh, FIP is well over four, and it's just something we really haven't seen from him since he was a very, very young pitcher who hadn't uh, really refined his control as he has since then in the last several seasons. And and it's his his. Uh, can I can I interrupt real sure. quick? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's lots of reasons to think Sabathia is in in a bad spot and all that. But just just in his defense, seven point seven strikeouts per nine, two point six walks per nine is his ratio this year and his mm-hmm. ratio his first year as a Yankee. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you know, the home runs are different, but depending yeah. on your philosophy about that, there is at least that. All right. So I yeah. just, I'll put that out there, not in any sort of, uh, way that I would like to tie myself to, but I'll put mm-hmm. it out there. Yeah. His, his FIP is still almost a run higher than it was that year. Uh, it looks like, yeah, cause uh, the home runs, yeah. but his, his ex FIP though. Uh, yes. I'm just saying, philosophically, th- that might be relevant information yeah. to people. Yeah, uh, but of All course, right. the other relevant information is his stuff, which has has declined yeah. considerably. Uh, his his fastball velocity, according to Brooks Baseball, is at 91.8 this year. Uh, last year, it was 93.0, and the year before that, it was 94.7. So he's basically lost a, a mile and a half or so per hour almost on his fastball the last couple of years. And that's kind of scary. Um, and he's, he's, he's always been a guy who's really gone deep into games and he hasn't done so well when, when Girardi has tried to push him into later innings this year. And there's been some, some writing and some talking about whether Girardi hasn't adjusted to the new Sabathia and he's still treating him like a workhorse ace, even though he's not that anymore. Uh, Sabathia's ERA in the sixth inning is almost 10. His ERA in the seventh inning is well over five. Of course, that's also the case of his first and second inning. So I don't know whether that means anything, but he, he has seemed to run out of gas earlier and maybe that's just because he hasn't been as efficient. Um, but he's just, uh, he, he looks very mortal right now. And so, uh, I'm kind of comparing him to the, the other, bad contracts that the Yankees have had on the books and have on the books for a few years from now. Uh, of course, he, he doesn't compare to the A-Rod contract, but 
He's, I mean, it's getting to the point where I wonder whether his contract is, is better than the Teixeira contract. Uh, they're both signed through 2016, um, both around 23 or so million per year. Um, and it's kind of getting to the point where you're, you're thinking of it in the same, in the same bucket, I guess, as those, as those contracts, which wasn't at all the case before this year. And, um, I was thinking of something that, that Cashman said earlier this year about Johan Santana and how, uh, they avoided making that commitment to Santana because there were these warning signs that they saw before he was signed to that big deal. Um, and at that point, they're really, I mean, his peripherals were fine. He was he was high up in the Cy Young voting every year. But the Yankees uh, looked and saw that he was a, a high-risk player going forward health-wise, is what Cashman said, because of velocity loss and because he had used his slider less uh, over the last couple of years. And so supposedly, at least in, in retrospect, Cashman said earlier this year, they avoided him because of those warning signs. Um, and they went with Sabathia instead, uh, who was younger and hadn't had those warning signs, but now it's a few years down the road and he's kind of showing the same warning signs himself. Um, which is interesting because before the Sabathia decline, I was wondering, did the Yankees know something special about how to evaluate pitchers and how to avoid the bad ones. And then uh, Sabathia kind of seems to be showing the same sort of signs of decline that they were worried about with Santana. Um, remember when uh, remember when Cashman uh, wanted to sign Nate Sherholtz and <laughs> yeah. ownership wouldn't let him? Yeah, man, his hands were, his hands were tied. He really yeah, wanted Sherholtz. I just, I just remember that. Yeah, maybe my maybe my all time favorite yeah. newspaper fun fact. <laughs> um, so so so, what do you think of Sabathia's contract then for the next few years? What what would Sabathia be be signed for? What would, what would a team pay him? If yeah, if he were a free agent this off season and and say he finishes the season where he is now. Um. So, like, like, let, uh, can you think of a good comp? Can you think of a player who uh, uh, flopped so badly just just in his walk year? Uh, I mm. guess you know those guys tend like maybe Adrian. Well, Adrian Beltre is in no way comparable to Sabathia, but it just jogged my memory, and so now it has me thinking maybe this that he's like he would be a pillow contract guy. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand. The pillow contract works if you're a player and you feel reasonably confident that you're going to bounce back. And if you are a pitcher yeah. uh, who's losing velocity the way he is, you might be thinking the exact opposite, which is even if you have to take a lesser deal than you expected six months earlier, get every penny you can because in nine months you might be out of the game for good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Sabathia, if Sabathia were a free agent right now, what would uh, what would he get? Yeah. Um, or what would you uh, give him and what would he get? I would guess, uh, I don't know, three and 45. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll say I, I would, ha- I would give him that and he would get that. Uh huh. So that's considerably less than he is signed for. So 23, 23, 25. So yeah, he's got three years and 71 plus a $5 million buyout for 2017. Uh-huh. Um, if his option doesn't vest, 
Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, that is sort of it's scary. Not that, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's not that bad. It's not it's not good, but it's not. It's you know. yeah, it's it's bad if you. It's not two hundred and twelve million for Pujols. <laughs> no, or right. One hundred and six million for Hamilton. Yeah, and yeah, if you believe in in trends, and sometimes trends can be deceptive, and we can read too much into one year performance, and when we should really be regressing that year and looking at prior years. Um, like, I have a I have a I have a theory about velocity loss, guys, uh-huh. and I, I have not done any any research into this theory it's 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 not a theory it's a it's a hypothesis based on nothing uh-huh. so i'm gonna give it to you but don't don't hold me to it but <laughs> my hypothesis is that um that when a guy loses a mile and a half per hour on his fastball we we basically know what that means like in the aggregate we know what happens to you know eras and fips when you take a mile and a half or i guess we know what happens to strikeout rate and all that uh, when you take a mile and a half off of the average pitcher's fastball mm-hmm. My theory, though, is that when a guy loses a mile and a half, like Sabathia did this year, he's actually lost, not necessarily with Sabathia, but in most cases, he's probably actually lost like two miles or two and a half, and he's overthrowing because he can't really admit to himself that he doesn't have that anymore. Uh-huh. So so the drop is actually bigger, but the drop in performance, the true talent loss, is actually smaller because once he adjusts and starts pitching you know, with the fastball that he has Mm -hmm. and, you know, starts working with that fastball instead of the fastball he desperately wants, he actually can make some adjustments and get better. Mm -hmm. So like Tim Linscombe said something along these lines a few weeks ago when he said, you know, I, I, I finally realized that I don't throw 94 anymore and I should stop pretending I do. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, that's probably a, that's a, that's a fairly cliched thing to say after the fact when you've had a run of, you know, six good starts or whatever. But I think it's probably kind of true. I think that um, to some degree, uh, you know, if you're used to throwing 94 and you're all of a sudden throwing 91, mm-hmm. um, you do what you can to try to get it to 92. So we're probably not, you know, a lot of times we're not seeing the, the true pitcher as he is at that point anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Sabathia fits into that hypothesis. Sabathia might be the exception. He seems to have been fairly mature about the velocity loss yeah. from the very beginning. Right. Acknowledged it in about the second start <laughs> of the year. Yes. he's Yeah, he's been full of just kind of like sad sad quotes all year yeah he's yeah. just been very very frank about it i mean at the end of july he said i suck <laughs> i suck i <laughs> wish i had an excuse or something it sucks it's embarrassing um oh. and, and Holy. <laughs> yeah and and yeah it was like a couple starts into his season when his his velocity was was low and he was coming off a sort of a minor surgery and Hadn't really had a full spring training, I guess, but still, um, people were worried about it. And he basically said, "Like, I, I can't do it. I can't throw as hard anymore." Um, and so, yeah, I didn't know whether that was a, a good thing or not. Because on the one hand, it's kind of, I, I don't know. I guess you you want your pitcher to feel like he has good stuff, or he's gonna go out there without any confidence, and that won't be good. But you also do want someone who has lost his stuff to accept it and and make that adjustment. Um, and I, I don't know. He he sort of seemed like one of those guys who would just kind of be smart and have enough secondary stuff to to get by if he wasn't throwing as hard, but um, hasn't hasn't been a particularly easy transition for him. XFIP is lower than it was his first year as a Yankee and basically the same as it was the second. Again, not saying that <laughs> I 
I would change my opinion of him based on that, but some people might. Uh, yeah, you're right. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, okay, are we done? Yep. All right, uh, so we'll be back tomorrow. Send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com, and we will get to them on Wednesday.